Hey, how are you? Hey, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm actually really good today, but Saturday was my third worst day of work in my entire career. And I came, yes, I came home deflated. It was rough. And then, so that was Saturday. Then yesterday, uh, Sunday was my Sabbath day, had a great day at church, had a great connection with God. And the Psalms, actually my Psalms thought is going to really pick up on this. And so I wouldn't mind later on, if we have a little extra time, I wouldn't mind sharing a little bit of the story of what happened at work on Saturday and how God met me in the Psalms in a really, really cool way. So that's how I'm doing. That's awesome. I would love to hear that. And that actually works out perfectly. I'm calling to talk about something that's been going on in my life, but then that's really my only thought. I don't have other thoughts. And so I, by all means, would love to let you take as much time as it takes to hear that, because that's really interesting sounding. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's cool. I think that'll work out nicely. But it is nice to be in a better headspace than I was on Saturday. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I don't doubt it. It sounds like whatever it was, it was rough. Yes. But what about you? You called and you said you've got lots of life things happening. So what's on your mind? Well, you know, I am in an interesting transition season in my life. I have transitioned out of my full-time pastoral job. And one of the major reasons I transitioned out was because in my ordination service several months ago, I, I felt like God might be calling me to a senior pastor role. And I have said, while I was in my associate pastor role, well, I can't really figure out what God is calling me to next if my mind is full of all the things I'm currently doing that he's called me to. So I need to sort of clear the decks, step out of my associate pastor role, and that'll give me space to discern what God is calling me to. But now I'm in the spot where I have to start doing the discerning. And this raises all sorts of complicated questions for me. You know, I I have spent a lot of my life really helping people focus on wisdom and decision-making through wisdom. And so I want to talk about how to make decisions with the backdrop of this decision that I'm in the process of making. Really, I want to dig into this biblical idea of wisdom and how it relates to sort of our experiential, I heard from God sort of decision-making approach, and just sort of try to figure out how do we faithfully make big life decisions or small life decisions in a way that is honoring to God with confidence? Oh, man. I think we've all been here. At one time or another, we've all sat with this, what does God want me to be doing? And I think God is calling me this direction, but then he also didn't open up all the doors that I hoped he would. Does that mean I misheard or does that mean I'm supposed to wait? And if I'm supposed to wait, what am I supposed to do while I wait? 
And what if I make the wrong choice or like how much of this am I just supposed to wait for clarity on versus how much of this I'm supposed to do on my own? Like these are the questions I've wrestled with. And I think that's what you're trying to describe. You know, one of the biggest challenges that I have, I'm a very literal thinker and I can often struggle with metaphor and all of the ways in which we describe decision-making is deeply metaphorical, right? I heard God, really, there was a sound in your ears. I remember mm-hmm. as a ninth or 10th grader, literally sitting there, like trying to hear God and like, really what ended up happening is I like tensed up all the muscles in my body because I was like trying so hard. But of mm. course, I didn't actually hear anything. And then we switch from here to feel, and that's significantly more vague. And then we switch from that to follow, and that's not really particularly clear either. All of this language, it's its very metaphorical and doesn't actually help us do much other than what we were already going to do in the first place. Yeah. You know, like it, it all reduces down on some level to, I went with my gut. Yeah, I think it does in some way, but that makes us super uncomfortable because what is our gut? Is that the Holy Spirit? Is that wisdom? Is that folly? I mean, like, are we, st- I I have seen people yes. make very foolish decisions and say, oh, I went with my gut or I felt like God was calling me to, and it, like, I, that doesn't sound like the God I know. Um, right. So like, I, I, yeah. How, yeah. How do you know? How do you do this? Okay. Well, you're obviously in the midst of living this, right? So I want to recognize that there's an emotional component to this. And so at no point do I want to be trite or like, this isn't a, this isn't a simple thing and I don't think we're going to treat it as such, but I want to be sensitive to the fact that this is your lived experience in the moment. And so what I'm hearing is in some way you are dissatisfied with the process or the answers or something. How would you label what your dissatisfaction is right now? That's great. Um, I'm not sure if dissatisfaction is quite the right word. I think that I am confused. I am at a standstill. I am happy to learn from God, to try to discern the will of God, to pray and all of those kinds of things until the moment comes when I'm actually supposed to do them for myself. And then suddenly I'm just confused about what to actually do. And so when I've had this type of experience, I am more than happy to listen to God's voice, discern God's will do those things when I feel like there's a next step. Whenever he doesn't give me the next step right away, and I actually hit a pause point where I'm like, I don't know where to go next. And if the answer is, therefore, wait, that's wildly uncomfortable. And that's what I get dissatisfied with. I don't like the waiting. Mm. I, I like I like knowing. I like certainty. I like progress. I like momentum. And if I don't have any of those things, then I don't feel like I have anything. Yeah, and I think for me, it isn't the waiting, it's the self-doubt. I am deeply prone to significant self-doubt, and I 
therefore want to push the decision off to somebody else, to some formalized process, to some clear word from God, I'm just honestly afraid I'm going to screw it up. If I'm not over-spiritualizing and I'm being completely transparent, that's what it comes down to. I'm just afraid I'm going to screw it up and miss the thing I was supposed to do. Hmm. You know, one of the passages of Scripture that always comes to mind for me in these moments is from the book of Acts. And I don't know about you, but when I've studied Paul's missionary journeys, right, the map comes out, you start plotting all of the different places he goes all along the map. You start yep. drawing you start drawing lines from city to city as if like he never had a detour, he never had a pit stop, he never like <laughs> like it's just like very, very like okay, then he did all these things. Then he went home, he took a vacation, then he did all these things, and then he had another vacation. Like it's all very linear Absolutely. because yeah. But well, and someday somebody is going to understand that we all do this with the Bible and they are going to come out with the geography study Bible and I am going to be the first person in line to buy it. <laughs> yes. Uh that would su- that would be super helpful. But I I just want to read this passage from Acts 16 because this is very different than the straight lines from city to city and I think it illustrates at least the fact that Paul encountered a similar moment. And I, in some ways, don't know what to make of Paul's experience here, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it. So this is Acts 16, starting in verse 6, and so I'll read verses 6 through 10. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of, oh gosh, I should have prepared for this, Uh, (laughs) Phrygia? Is that how you say it? I think it's Phrygia, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay, we'll go with Phrygia. Considering the fact that you know Greek significantly better than I do, why don't you just sound it out and say it however you're going to say it, because you're probably right. You know, I'm not looking at the Greek, uh, so I don't know. Anyway, I'm just looking at the English. All right. Well, here we go. Two seminary graduates try to pronounce the Bible and go. Um, Okay. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they're like running into brick walls from city to city going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And then they stop like, I don't know. I imagine Paul very spent at this point having this really weird dream and they get up and they're like, all right, sounds good. I guess we'll go there. Yeah. I just want to know. Back in verse 7, where it says, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Right? I picture the angels with flaming swords in Genesis, what is that, the end of Genesis 3, that are stopping Adam and Eve from going back into the garden. Mm. Right? And I have a feeling that's not what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I would love some clarity about what it meant that the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Does this mean 
that they felt compelled? Does this mean the boat broke down? Yeah, exactly. So many questions. Does that mean the search committee turned them down? Yeah, right? But, okay, so here's here's my thing. Like, I almost want to take this text and say, well, see what Paul did? Paul just kept trying stuff until he found something that, you know, worked. And I think that's one way to interpret this text. But at the same time, the the Bible doesn't really comment on this method. And this method, by the way, is very much in keeping with Paul's demeanor, right? This is just who Paul is. Paul is just a, he is getting after it all day, every day. And so is this just a Paul thing? Is this what we should be doing when we don't know what to do? Just try stuff? Like, what is your take on this text? You know, as I listen to this text, I think you're right. This is Paul being Paul. He does not seem to have the potential paralysis that I am inclined towards in his willingness to follow Jesus. Hmm. Right? He's just going. And so then my mind jumps from that to a couple of Old Testament references, one of which excitingly is actually in the Psalms. So I can tie this into the Psalms, but I jump into Psalm 23 from here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. In some sense, it is not a sheep's job to figure out how the shepherd is going to lead. And if the shepherd chooses to let the geography lead, fine. I'm sure shepherds do that all the time. Hey, look, I don't have to stop you from going over there because there's a giant mountain over there. There's a cliff going up where at the base of it. If you try to go that way, you'll run into a rock, right? Like that's a fine way of a shepherd choosing to lead. But then I'm sure there are other times when the shepherd sends the dogs to yap at the sheep to stop them from going places that are dangerous. And there are other times that the shepherd uses his staff to pull the sheep in. And there's all sorts of ways. And it's really just not the sheep's job to worry about how he's going to be led. And then Mm. this jumps me over to, in the long tradition here of squirrel, um, I am reading (laughs) a book on ADHD and I am watching my own divergent thinking as I'm talking. So I will pause in a moment here and let you Talk your way through the very long spiel of thoughts that I'm giving here. I love uh, it. But it's all one thought in my head. Um, okay. But I, so I jump from there into this Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and think, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways, that is to say, the ones that feel like going in the right direction and the ones that don't, the ones where you feel like you know what you're supposed to do and the ones that don't, the ones where you're using wisdom and the ones where you're feeling led by the Holy Spirit, whatever, and he'll make your heart path straight. That's sort of how I shape what I see Paul doing in that moment is he's just doing whatever he's doing and not too worried about it and trusting that God's going to figure it out. But I'm, I have no idea. What do you see in those verses? Well, I want to add, I I like the verses that you already added to the conversation. I want to add one more and then I'll give my summary thought to it all. So this is again from Acts, and this is Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. They're trying to figure out, okay, we've got all of these Gentile believers, like 
what do we tell them? Are they believers? Are they not? Are we going to include them? And if so, like how Jewish do they have to be uh, in order to be included with the Jewish Messiah? And so they conclude with this in, in verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements, blah, 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 blah. And I really like that phrase. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And that's what I see in Paul's story. He did a lot of things. He attempted a lot of things that didn't seem good to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit shut him down. Whereas in Acts 15, they were doing something that seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to them. I feel like this is what making decisions with in response to the Holy Spirit is like. It's a lot of seeking wisdom. It's a lot of being prayerful. It's a lot of being willing to be led in any way that the shepherd wants to lead. And then it's a lot of just putting your best thought into action and being willing for the Holy Spirit to stop you or lead you in a different direction or just let you do exactly what it is you set out to do. I think we see examples of all of those. You know, so long as you're continuing to be prayerful, continuing to exercise wisdom, go in the best direction you've got until you're stopped. I don't know. I, that's a horrible, like overly simplified answer that doesn't feel very good in the moment. Well, and if I can make it even worse, I think another piece of this. So I was preaching on Friday night on Psalm 106. And the basic story of Psalm 106 is here are all the ways the people of God failed miserably, and yet God was good, powerful, and gracious enough to both save them and work his will. It's a really long psalm, but that's the basic gist of it. Yeah. And it has me wondering in moments like this, so what if I mess up? What if I do screw up? The story that's going to be told, hopefully, in my life is not, you know, and this is interesting. If I, Did you read those little Christian biographies as a kid? No, I didn't. Oh, you missed out. Except I I'm about I... to criticize them. <laughs> okay. Almost every one of those biographies, the general gist of what I got out of it was, here is somebody who was awesome for Jesus. The basic gist of the psalm is here is someone who was foolish and God was awesome. Mm. If I let my life tell that second story, if I am deeply open to my story being told, here is someone who was foolish and God was awesome, the decision I make right now is fairly unimportant because God's going to be awesome no matter what. Well, yeah. So I'm going to take it even another step forward because I'm I'm working on a sermon that I'm going to get to preach next week all about the fact that the gospel comes down to we've talked before about the fact that the gospel comes down to Jesus, but I want to phrase that a little differently for the purposes of this sermon, which is the gospel all comes down to us being with Jesus. There's a great book out there, Sky Jathani he wrote a book called With, and he talks about four other prepositions that we tend to think about in, in terms of our relationship with God. 
Sometimes we think we have a life from God mentality. We have a life over God mentality, or a life against God, or a life for God. And sometimes I think in these decision moments, we're thinking, what does God want me to be doing? What should I be doing? Because I Mm. clearly need to be doing something for God, or God wants something from me. And I don't think that's the biggest point at all. I think the biggest point is God wants to be with me. Yeah. Full stop. I think that's it exactly. I am trying to live for God rather than living with God. The sermon at my church on yesterday morning was on whatever psalm it is that it has the be still and know that I am God verse in it. Mm-hmm. And this comes back to that, right? Like, can we just be still and let God be God? Yeah. And when I think about it that way, that is a warm, safe, really delightful place from which to go and in which to live. Yes. You don't have to prove anything if you're living with God. You have to prove a lot if you're living for God. And if you find yourself in this moment of transition or this moment of questioning what's next, and you don't have a lot of practice at the life with God mentality, it can feel disorienting because not only are you trying to learn a new discipline, a new spiritual habit, a new way of thinking about my relationship with God, but you're also trying to let go of an old identity. My identity and especially my relationship with God, is all wrapped up in what I do for God. And if you mm-hmm. have to if you have to change that and your spiritual habits and your spiritual mentality all at the same time, that is super complicated. Yeah, man. I am brought back to our recent conversation about Lectio Divina because the final step in Lectio Divina, of course, is to let go even of the text and simply be with God without scrambling to be a better Christian, without scrambling to change the world through prayer. So much of my prayerfulness really is captured by the word scrambling. Mm. And Lectio Divina doesn't let me stop there. As a matter of fact, it invites me to let go of that. And it invites me to let go of that because of what you're saying right now. Because there is something better about being with than doing for. Yes. But I want to come back to this element of wisdom that we talked about before. And I'd love to have your take as a 20-year pastor. How do you counsel people to include the role of wisdom in this entire process. What does that look like? If we're supposed to be relationally with God, and we are supposed to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, but also exercising wisdom, explain that piece. What does that look like? Man, that's a good point. And and I think wisdom is, to use a bowling metaphor, wisdom is putting the bumpers up so that the ball doesn't end up in the gutter, right? Hmm. There are lots of viable ways you can roll that ball down that track, but you really just don't want to end up in the gutter 
And I think wisdom is a way of making sure the gutters are not available. Before I say what I think those gutters are, does that seem like a valid metaphor? I love that metaphor. I love the world of possibilities in terms of rolling the ball down the thing, but you just have to have the guardrails up. And wisdom is yeah. those guardrails. So I'm super into the metaphor, and now I'm like ready to hear, like, what do you think those are? Man. And I'll tell you what, at the heart of our podcast, the central idea we want to get across is that the spiritual practice of friendship is the most transforming thing that has ever happened in either of our lives. And we believe it is the missing thing in more spiritual lives than anything else. Mm. And this is one of those moments. Normally we talk around that, but I can't talk about wisdom without talking about friendship. Uh, so for example, we are in the process of launching this nonprofit where we want to find ways to minister to ministers. And we are super open to doing that in any number of ways. We're going to offer counseling. We're going to offer coaching. But beyond that, we have no idea how to do this. And so the first thing that I want to do in terms of wisdom, I am going to be scheduling a time when I gather the wisest people that I know for a time of prayer and brainstorming. And I just want the wisest people I know all in the same room to share what they think would be meaningful for this. Mm. And I think that's where wisdom comes from. If foolishness has the ability to pull everybody down to the lowest possible level, wisdom has the ability to pull other wise people up to higher and higher levels. Hmm. The more wise people you get in one room at one time talking about one thing, the better chances you have of getting a wiser and wiser and wiser response. Wisdom magnifies or multiplies. Yeah, I'm in my head, I'm using the word sharpens. Like you're getting close, finer and finer detail until you're right at the knife's edge. Yeah, exactly. And this is a little even different from what I would have answered a year or two ago when I would have said, individually ask the wisest people that you know. So if you've got five wise people on your list, individually ask them. I think I am shifting more and more to saying, if you've got five wise people on your list and you're trying to figure something out, get them all in the same room and let them talk. Hmm. Wisdom arrives in a community even more so than in a one-on-one -on -one or whatever. I think the more wise people in the room, the better. Oh, and I think of the verse, like this is giving me a whole new context for this verse, right? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. I feel like God has mm. ordained that gathering and that collectiveness as a means for his spirit to move. That just gives me a whole new spin on that passage. Mm, I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, that's, <laughs> it's always nice to know that my random thoughts have some potential Bible behind them. <laughs> you need to change your little, um, your little tagline from squirrel to like Bible squirrel. You know, yes. there's, there's hey, just a little something. This is Josh from Missouri, the Bible squirrel. Um, <laughs> but, but no, this is. Right. This is what happens. 
I think to both of us all of the time is that we discover truth only to find out it was already in the Bible. Yes. This is G.K. Chesterton. What What is his famous analogy about discovering Christianity? He set out on a quest to find the truth, and it's like he was taking off from England in a boat, and he goes from days and days and days and days on this quest, and he finally finds land, and he discovers that he has arrived in England, and so he has all the joys of a new discovery with all the benefits and delight of being at home at the same time. Mm. I feel like this is the spiritual life. Yes, uh, we have this experience so often, and it just helps bring scripture to life. It helps bring our experience into sharp focus. It's so refreshing to discover and yet be at home all in the same moment. And yeah, I love it. Great analogy. Well, I am dying to hear what's been going on in your week. So let me just turn the conversation by saying to our audience, we would love to know what decisions you are in the middle of making, how you make those decisions. We would love to hear what it means for you to follow Jesus in the midst of decision-making. And we would also love to be praying with you about that process of decision-making. So don't hesitate to, in our post on uh, Wednesday, we'll post just what decisions are you in the process of making, and you can let us know so that we can be praying with you. So please engage with us in this conversation. Like I was saying, the more wisdom we gather about these kinds of topics— we multiply each other's wisdom rather than just adding to it. So please join us in this conversation. Yes, absolutely. And if this podcast episode or any of our others uh, strikes a chord with you or you think it would strike a chord with somebody else, please share this episode. We would love to broaden out the conversation. We would love for others to benefit from these conversations. So if you know somebody in the midst of transition that is trying to sort through it, and uh, they might relate to our thoughts here, by all means, please share this. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, turning the corner, you had the third worst day that you've ever had at work. And the Psalms was a really valuable tool in dealing with that day. So I know that you work in a, a job that some details you can share and some you can't. Tell us a little bit about what happened in your day? Yeah. So I'll say two things uh, right off the bat. First, I'm only going to share details that are publicly available in the media so that I do not overshare. But secondly, even what's in the media is not easy to hear. And so if you are listening to this podcast with small children or something like that, you know, this is just an advice that, you know, this is going to be a hard story. So yeah, I've been working in the 901 field for 14 years, and this was my third hardest day. This was a guy that walked into a local hospital, and there was reports that he had a gun or multiple guns, and so officers were dispatched to the scene. When officers got into the hospital, he started firing. He only shot one person. It was not immediately known 
uh, how many he had shot. So he uh, shot one security guard uh, who later died. There was, you know, quite a bit of police resources going out to the scene to try to uh, shut down the hospital and try to locate this guy. Uh, There was a lot of different places he could have been. Um, They called out the SWAT team. And then they had reports that he may have gone into a nearby grocery store. And so we had SWAT team heading over there to help evacuate the grocery store and search for this guy. And then a while later, clear on the other side of town, very, very far away from this incident, other officers pulled over a vehicle that uh, I don't know how they knew, but he was inside that vehicle and the driver got out and cooperated with police, but um, the bad guy was in the passenger seat, not cooperating with police. And there was a long standoff with him that ultimately resulted in officers uh, shooting and killing the suspect. And, Mm. you know, we hear about these things on the news and on the surface, you go, okay, yeah, another tragic event. But sometimes, and this is one of them, dispatch is very, very involved in all of this. We get a lot of different types of phone calls in the center. We have dispatchers engaged on various aspects of this. Um, As it was, our staffing was not great for this event. And this tied up a lot of resources. We had a couple of different dispatchers dedicated to this event alone, both on the fire and medical side and on the police side, such that um, I personally had to take the SWAT channel and be the dispatcher on that side and help relay information. It was a very, very coordinated effort from the call takers to the dispatchers, and it unfolded over many hours. And so there wasn't anybody in the room at the time that was not affected by this particular call and involved in it to largely a significant degree. Not only that, but um, through a, a series of events, most of us heard the shots that killed the suspect. That was just a tragic end to the whole thing that we had invested many hours in. And we had a lot of folks that were emotionally trying to process that. Mm. Not only had we tied up resources for a long time, we had folks that had to step away from the job for a few minutes, for a little while even, uh, to try to compose themselves. And some of them needed to take some critical incident stress management time off and and go home. Others returned to their post and continued doing the best they could. But we, as you can imagine, our, our resources were strapped thin to begin with. They were made even thinner during the event and then uh, that much thinner after the event. And we had multiple calls holding in the center, many of them holding for quite some time, which is not the way we want to serve the public. Um, This is what were our resources allowed for in that moment. And so that was stressful. And it just was, it was a really hard day that really took the wind out of our sails. I got in the car and shared with my wife what I could over a phone call. And then, um, just kind of sat in silence on the rest of the drive home and just knew I needed to take it easy the rest of that night. And that was going to be okay. I could just come home and zone out to a game of baseball and not really give a lot. Uh, I didn't have anything left to give. I'd worked a 12 and a half hour day. Another one of my coworkers worked a 16 hour day. 
So it was just long. Um, anyway, so I Sunday came and we've been in this series at church on Sabbath and rest and delighting in God. And it's been such a rich and wonderful sermon series. And so I knew I was looking forward to Sabbath and I was looking forward to going to church. And I knew even as I mourned the day that God was still good and God was still gracious and that he was going to watch over all of us. But I also was reflecting, I'm part of this sin cycle, right? Like the actions that this guy took were awful. I'm part of that awfulness. I'm part of that sin cycle. I'm not immune to this type of thing. My sin affects the world just like his sin affected the world. He has no idea how many people he affected that day. Um, yeah. And so I was just reflecting on all of that. And then yesterday evening, I got a chance to just sit down with the Psalms. And it was just so rich. So with all of that experience in mind, let me just read you parts of Psalm 116, because that was the Psalm that I sat down to read. I love Yahweh because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid a hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of Yahweh. O Yahweh, I pray, deliver my soul, my nephesh. Gracious is Yahweh. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, my nephesh, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. I was struck by being surrounded by death. And yet that my soul could find its rest in God, that he hears, that he delivers, and that he deals bountifully with me. It was so mm. rich and so good. It was God's gift to restore my soul that very much needed it. That's so powerful that the language of the Psalms and the soul of the Psalms could bring... You know, we were talking recently about this word nephesh, right? The life source. Mm. It's amazing how powerful it was that your life could be reinvigorated by the vitality of the Psalms. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's exactly how I felt. Mm. Well... Thank you for listening. Thank you to our audience uh, for listening. It's part of the healing for me to be able to share the, my story. And so thank you all for letting me share. Well, and I'm, I'm grateful to you to being willing to share that because we can talk about the Psalms a lot, but those are the moments where we experience the Psalms. And I think your willingness to share adds a richness to our conversation about the Psalms goes beyond talking about to something deeper. And so I'm really grateful that you're willing to share that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to. So, well, if we can pick up the mood a little bit, I believe it is time for the Witch Josh question. Yes. 
one of these days there's going to be theme music and I'm going to be so excited. <laughs> that day is not today. <laughs> nope, it's not. But we have an exciting question today. Which Josh spent his second grade year pretending he was a robot? <laughs> this is fantastic. I'm, I'm ready to hear the story. So clearly this is not me. Yeah, nope. This is me. This is 100% me. And this is part of a an ongoing theme in my life. But I think I graduated from second grade to third grade from pretending to be a robot to pretending to be Spock from Star Trek. So I didn't go far. No, no, you really uh, didn't. Really didn't. Uh, but there is clearly a running theme. And the theme really, from the internal perspective, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I was reading this book about ADHD. And one of the things it talks about is that for folks with ADHD, the emotional response that we have to the world is sort of an on-off switch rather than a dimmer switch. So most folks, their emotions can go anywhere on a range of zero to 10. For people with ADHD, there's something in their heads that it's not a dimmer. It just kind of flicks all the way to 10. And so you're flooded with all of this emotion. And this is still challenging for me to deal with on a daily basis. But in second grade, I had no idea what was going on. I just found feelings to be very overwhelming and unsafe and therefore spent large chunks of that aid just pretending to be a robot so that I wouldn't have feelings and didn't have to deal with them. Um, as I'm describing this, I know you promised lighthearted and I'm not sure I went there, but <laughs> I'm being honest and that's really what was going on. Yeah. So there that's, you are. I pretended to be a robot. You know, that's fascinating. And I think your adult analysis of your childhood self is really amazing. I can see absolutely how a child would sense the, the fear of significant emotion and decide, oh, I want to I want to turn that off. I think a robot can turn that off and I'll be a robot. It makes perfect sense from the mind of a child. And it's it's interesting that you can diagnose that from where you are now. No, it's fascinating. And it's amazing to me how my TV shows gave me outlets to explore this that suggest to me maybe I wasn't the only one exploring this. Mm. Because I went from Star Trek with Spock to Star Trek The Next Generation with Data and always trying to figure out Spock was trying to repress this. Data is trying to integrate this. But it's always this wrestling between these two parts of life, the cerebral and the emotional. So I have now begun to wonder if I was not the only one wrestling with how to deal with this. I'm sure you were not. But it is, wow, what a, what a mature and in interesting assessment of <laughs> your childhood self. That's so cool. Well, mm. thank you. All right. Well, this conversation has gone in a variety of directions. And uh, audience, if you can sort it all out, good luck. But let's have another conversation again next week. 
Sounds great. I can't wait. I'll talk to you then. All right. Bye.